but I need one person to be a volunteer and just open your Bible to any random section, any section at all. Who wants to be that volunteer? And we're going to, all right, John, good job. Okay, John, open your Bible to any verse, any, anything that, that jumps out and read anything. Amen. So you all hear that? Okay, so here's a question. What is the author trying to bring forth? Who's the subject of what John just read? It's not a trick question. So what was the, what was the book? So who was the main person in what John just read? Starts with an E and ends with Zarah. There you go, Ezra. My point and purpose in this, in, in having John read that, is that when something is written down, there's an author that's behind it, and that author that's behind it is trying to bring forth a plan and a purpose. He's trying to bring forth revelation, and he's trying to bring forth something seen, something said, something shown. He's bringing illumination to you. How many of you have a favorite book? Ever read a book outside of the Bible? I know you guys, you guys, I know how you are. So, any, ever read a book outside of the Bible? You know, mystery, adventure, something like that. Ever have a favorite book like that? Ever read it again? Yeah, I have a couple books like that. You know how it's going to end, but you still love it. Why? Because it's telling a story. It's going through an adventure. You know, I remember... A lot of you were here for this, but um, when the Left Behind series came out, you know, that first book came out and everybody was reading it and pastors were buying it the day it came out and they were bringing it to my house and dropping it off before they even read it and giving it to me and saying, here, read this. And I had one night to read every single one of those books. Thank God I read fast. And I read every single one of those books in one night. Right? Why? How can, how can somebody do that? I mean, besides just the whatever. But the books are good, right? There's content that's in the book that's desirable. There's things that you want to see. There's things that you want to know. And at some point during the book, I mean, you know how it's going to go. You know where they're going. Especially if you've already read it and you're reading it for a second time or a third time or a fifth time. You know where you're going. You know what's, what's going to happen. But the adventure of what's happening is, is building. There's momentum that's building, and you're coming towards a point of culmination where it's like, wow, it's going to be revealed. And, and you know, you, you get this in movies, but I don't think it's the same. I think when you're reading a book, because patience has its perfect work, unless you're, you know, a cheater and go to the end and see what happened. Anybody ever done that? <laughs> There's some books where you're reading them, and they're just so good, you've got to find out what's going on in the end. And you're like, or sometimes they're just not making sense and you, you need to make sense of what you're doing, right? Well, so we're talking a lot about books. Um, you found 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. It says um, from the King James, You are our epistle, written on our hearts, known and read of all men, for us insomuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered to us, not written with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but on fleshly tables of the heart. So the word epistle there is a written message. So right now God is writing in your lives. God is writing on your hearts. And you're, you're the story of God. And I think sometimes if you're like me, you think you're going through the mundane, you're going through the day-to-day, -day, you're going through the Monday through Friday work, and Saturday you've got a routine, and Sunday morning you get up and come to church, and then Sunday afternoon you go home and rest and relax and try to prepare for the rest of the week. Laurel's shaking her head. When I said rest and relax, Laurel goes, oh no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I know what you mean. But we try, we strive, right? But how many of you feel that way? Sometimes it's just like you're going through life. And sometimes it feels like you're in a routine. You know, pastors used to talk about a rut. 
you know, we won't really go into that, but you get into a routine and sometimes you wonder, is what I'm doing really worth it? Am I having any kind of impact? But the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But the impact that you have, the impact that I have, totally depends upon how much we're yielded over to God, how much of his light we're letting shine forth in our own lives. And so we're the epistle written of God. I think that's really important. The story that you're writing is not your own story. It is in a way. But the story that you're writing is the story that God has weaved through the fabric of your life. Every event that's happened to you, every, everything that's going on, good, bad, God is working through that. God has made you stronger because of things that you've been through. God has made you wiser because of things that you've been through. We all wish that life was just an easy path, right? How many wish life was just an easy path? It never is. But there's one thing that we need to know is that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is always with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the very worst place that I could possibly be, you are with me. Not only with me, but your rod and your staff, they guide me and comfort me. Amen? So what does that have to do with being a living epistle? Y'all have a book in your hands, or some form of a book. Maybe it's an electronic book. But you all have a book in your hands. There's a story that's unfolding in that book. How do you know what's in that book? There's only one way. You have to read it. You are an epistle of God written on fleshly tablets of the heart. How will people know the story of Laurel, of Whitney, of Gina, of Mary? How will they know? People read you. People are constantly reading you. Amen? Don't be a hard story to read. You don't have to be a, a tragedy. You don't have to be a drama. Thank God. <laughs> you can be a happy ending. And you know, a lot of people in their lives are so miserable. They're so distraught. I've been thinking a lot about what's going on in our country um, right now in my history class. We're reading about the Great Depression <laughs> and all the things that happened, you know, coming up to it. In fact, I was doing the test on that before I got here. And it's like, wow, people were miserable. People were so unhappy. Because everything that they had banked on, everything that they had put their hope in, everything, everything that they had trusted in was now being found faulty. And see, that's where we hold the advantage. Because our God will never be found faulty. Our God will never fail. Amen. We, can, we can put him to the test. He said, you know, when, when we're tithing, when we're giving offerings, put him to the test. Try me in this. And he said he'll never fail us. He'll never forsake us. We'll never walk alone. Even more so, we have the power of God living and abiding and residing within us. We're not doing this walk by ourselves. Yeah, it's one thing to have company. I've had company of people in the, in the worst parts of my life, and that's comforting. That's nice. But it's another thing to have somebody who offers you a way out. When God says... Um, there's no temptation except that which is common to man. But God is faithful and will with that temptation make a way of escape. God makes the way of escape. And he's with you. He lives inside you. And he's, he's showing you and he's teaching you and he's leading you and he's guiding you. So when those times of, of trouble come, those times of torment come, He's not just there with you. He's not just holding your hand going, boy, we're in this. He's saying, hey, I know the way out. Follow me. Let me take you by the hand. I know you're weak right now. Let me pick you up and I'll carry you. We're getting out of this hole. We're getting out of this pit. And we're not coming out weak. We're not coming out broke. We're not coming out broken. We're coming out on top. We're coming out with victory. 
We're coming out ahead. We're coming out where the enemy is, is sitting there and, and he's yelling and he's taunting and he's yelling at you. And I've prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Boy, I mean, I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but it, it's very common. It's very easy to forget about God. It's very easy to forget who God is. And I think in our nation right now, there's a lot of people who have forgotten about God. There's a lot of people who have forgotten who God is. And there's a lot of people who have forgotten what God can do. I really feel like as a nation, we're just like the children of Israel right now. And we're standing at the Red Sea and we're thinking, oh my God, there's this big old sea in front of us. And there's an army that's chasing us and death and destruction is coming. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And everybody's murmuring and complaining and looking to each other. But God will raise up a leader. Contrary to what you might believe, God will raise up a leader. And I don't think it has to be a president. I know a lot of people are looking to the elections to, to solve problems. If you look hard enough, you will realize that is not a solution. And the church said, Amen. <laughs> God will raise up a leader. God raised up Moses. God didn't just raise up Moses, but God told him, hey, I'm going to show you what I can do. And he told him, throw that staff down and it'll become a serpent. And then pick that staff up and it'll become a staff. And that same very staff, as they're standing on the Red Sea, on the shore of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army closing down, breathing down, breathing down their neck, God put a wall of protection behind them. They had nothing to fear, nothing to worry. And that same very staff, Moses raised and a way was made. And I really, truly believe at this time that God is raising up a leader who will have the tools necessary to bring deliverance into this nation. Amen? Maybe it's one of you. Oh, that threw you, didn't it? <laughs> what? Well, why not? Why couldn't it be? The same God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And that power has quickened our mortal bodies. It's made us alive. But I'm just me. I'm just living in the normal. I'm just living in the routine. I go to work Monday through Friday. I go to school Monday through Friday. I, I got plans. I got purposes. But they're plans and purposes of my own. But God is saying somebody is going to, to, to wake up to this power that I've invested in you. Somebody is going to wake up to the word that I've given you. Somebody is going to be the epistle written on the hearts of man, written by the Spirit of God. And they're going to stand up and they're going to say, I know the way. And they're not going to say it because they're seeking fame. They're not going to say it because they're seeking fortune. They're not going to say it because they're looking for popularity. They're going to say it because they have a knowing from the inside, from the Holy Spirit of God, that will say, this is the way, follow me. We're getting out of this. Amen. So, hey, just so you know, I was not prepared to teach this morning. So, listen. Amen. So, um, you yourselves are our letter. This is from the uh, basic English Bible. You yourselves are our letter whose writing is in in our hearts, open for every man's reading and knowledge. You yourself are that letter, open for every man's reading and knowledge. You are clearly the letter of Christ. The fruit of our work recorded not with ink, but with the spirit of living God, not in stones, but in hearts of flesh. What condition is your heart in? That's the tablet that God is writing on. Is your heart full of worry? Is your heart full of care? Is your heart full of concerns? Is your heart full of everything else but God? Does God have preeminence in your life? I think about this a lot when, I, when I'm going into class. I stand out because I'm older. But after a little while, I'm just like everybody else. And it's kind of interesting. People are drawn Christine was telling me the other day that, that this lady just came up to her in the grocery store and just started telling her this horrible stuff. And I was listening to her, and I was thinking, why in the world would somebody come up and say that? And then later on, it was like, duh. 
She just came out of church. Christine is a holy person of God. I can tell you I live with her. It's the Spirit of God that's drawing all men unto him. And that word of God that you're sitting and hearing week after week, sermon after sermon, sometimes you're fighting to stay awake through it. Right? Come on now. (laughs) What does Jesse say? Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. (laughs) Right? Those things have effect. Those things are changing hearts. Those things are changing lives. They're not just for you. They're not just for me. But those things have effect on, on everyone who's around us. The more that we change, the more that we transform into the image of Christ, the more we're able to reach and impact the world. Amen. And not just in the ways that we think, you know, church think, but just your everyday life. I'm sitting in class and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? But yet people are, are watching me and I know it. I know it. And people say, wow, how did you do that good on a test? And I just tell them, it's because God gave me wisdom. I prayed before the test. You wet. (laughs) And in every class, so far it hasn't happened this semester, but I know it will. In every class, every time, I've had somebody say, hey, will you pray for me before the test? (laughs) And I will. And I will. But I also give them wisdom and tell them, you know, you need to study. <laughs> God will work with you. And God will not do the work for you. Amen. Amen. Um, let's go to Mark chapter 4. I don't want to discount us. Out of all the people in the whole world, God chose us. Y'all remember, I mean, I think I talk about this a lot, but y'all remember that in, in the early days of your life when you were in, on the playground and people were picking teams, nobody wanted to be picked last? And you're not God's last pick. I guarantee you, you're not God's last pick. There's so much that God has invested in us. And he's looking for a return on his investment. Amen? So Mark chapter 4, um, we want to look at where do I want to start? All right, let's start at verse 14. The sower sows the word, and um, these were they which were sown by the side as the word is sown. Um, as they have heard, Satan came immediately and he stole the word. Well, is, Satan's not stealing the word from you. Why? Because you treasure that word. You guard and protect that word. That word is your life and you know it. So you're not going to allow him to come immediately and steal the word. He's going to try, but you're not going to allow it. So... Um, he takes the word which was sown in their hearts. And these likewise are they which were sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, and had no root in themselves, and so endure for a time. And afterwards, when affliction and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Is it Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are we offended by the word of God? Are we offended because we're word people? Are, are we offended by the presence of God? Are you offended when you're in the grocery store and God says, hey, go lay hands on that person? Are you offended when God says, hey, go up and tell that person good morning? How do you know if you're offended by that? You won't do it. You're like, God, what I'm doing is more important than what you're asking me to do. And I'll tell you, God isn't going to start off with, with you going up and telling somebody in a wheelchair to rise up and be healed in the name of Jesus. God's going to start with the small stuff because you have to build your faith up to, before you can get to a place where you're operating in, in miracles. So what is, he, what is God going to do? God's going to tell you, smile at that person. That person who's looking like this. That person who comes in and has nothing good to say on a Monday morning. Ah, this weekend. And God's just going to tell you, you know, just smile for him. Just pray for him. Just say it's just a simple little prayer. And as we become obedient in the little things, then things begin to happen. Then things begin to transpire. So we can't allow ourselves to become offended from the word of God. Now, verse um, 19, this is really where I wanted to get to 
and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. What other things do you think he's talking about? Name me an other thing. Verse 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things entering in choke the word, making it unfruitful. What kind of other things do you think that, that he might be talking about? Anything that will draw you away from him. Work. Anybody else? Old bad habits. habits. It can be anything. There's no wrong answer. But we lust and crave after all of these things. Some of them are good things. But they're just things that take us away from God. They're just things that that remove us from his presence. They're things that, that draw us out of his will. God tells you, hey, it's time to go pick up the Bible and go read a chapter. And you go, but I really wanted to binge on Netflix. But I have homework that I got to do. Poor me. Right? I know I'm the only one who's ever done that. You guys all listen to God. You guys all read the word when God says it. Oh, but I'm so tired. I just need a five-minute nap, right? Right. (laughs) Moving right on, right? Verse 20, and these are those which are sown on good ground. That's us, right? Amen. Amen. Such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. Do you know that it's not enough to hear the word? It is not enough to receive the word. You must bring forth fruit. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says that, uh, I I can't remember exactly the whole thing, but it talks about the the promise of a cloud that comes by that sheds no rain. We've had a lot of those gray clouds that come by and we're thinking, yeah, here it comes and there's no rain or two drops. That does a whole lot of good, right? Just messes up your windows. We don't want to be those kind of people. We want to be the kind of people that when they're reading our lives, when we're the epistles of God and they're reading our lives, we don't want to drop two little drops in their life and then just pass over and be a cloud that's passing by with no rain. We want them to be saturated with the presence of God. We want them to become so enthralled with the things of God, so hungry for the things of God that they seeing in our lives that they desire change. Right? Nobody wants an unhappy ending. So, verse 21. Is a candle brought out to be put under a bushel or under a bed? Is it not meant to be on a candlestick? For there is nothing hidden which shall not be manifested, nothing that will be kept secret that will come abroad. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. What is he saying? He's saying in, uh, you know, your city on a hill. You're a lighthouse, you're a beacon. The world's in darkness. They're groping and they're grasping at straws. They're trying to figure out where they're even at. There's fear and there's confusion that's running rampant in the world right now because nobody knows what's going to happen. It's just like in, in those times where, where they were all locked up, the the place where in, in Kings, they were all in this, in this place and there was an army that was surrounding them and they were all locked up and they had no food and they thought they were all going to starve to death and these three lepers decide, you know what, hey, let's go out. Let's go see what's going on. They were the only ones who had the courage to go out and try to get a vision. They were the only ones who were willing to say, you know what, I got this idea, let's act upon it. And what, it, what happened? When they went out, they found out that God had already won the battle. And all the spoils were there and everything that they ever wanted was there. But what did they do? Do you remember the very first thing they did? We always remember the end of the story. But do you remember the very first thing that they did? They started heaping up stuff for themselves. They started eating. And then what happened? One of them said, you know what? This just isn't right. Here God has worked this great miracle and nobody knows about it. And we're here and we're full and we're satisfied. And we have everything that we need but we're withholding that information that's necessary for the the people of God to be free. Ouch. So let's keep going. Um, 
You can write these down if you're taking notes, but we're the temple of God. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. You're the temple of God. You're holy. God lives on the inside of you. You're precious to God. Amen. In Second uh, Peter, it talks about you're a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that peculiar does not mean weird. Right? I should go find that and tell you exactly what it means. But look it up. How many of you have a strong concordance? How many of you have access to the Internet? So you have access to a Strong's Concordance. So how many of you have a Strong's Concordance? How many of you will say that you will go look up the word peculiar and see what it means? Amen. You will be enlightened. Um, Let's go to Mark chapter 11. Are you really going to do that? Okay, good. Because if you're not, I'm going to go look it up myself. And read it to you. But I trust you. You're people of your word. Mark chapter 11. And verse 15. Um, when they came unto Jerusalem, Jesus went into the temple and he began to cast out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overthrew tables and money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer any man who should carry a vessel um, through the temple. And he taught, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called, um, or it shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. A long, long time ago, probably back when I wrote this sermon, I was meditating on this. And I kind of, I don't want to say I fell into a trance or nothing. I think it was more like I fell asleep, in all honesty. But I had a God dream. And God showed me this temple. It was supposed to be his holy place. It was this big square. And in it were cages of, of birds and and just all these people trying to exchange money. And everybody was trying to make a profit. And there was people that were, I mean, it was the scene of this. There was people who were using, you know, the temple as a shortcut. Oh, I'm going to get to where I'm going faster, so I'm just going to cut through here, and I'm going to do whatever i got to do first. And, and Jesus came in, and, and he, you know, made his whip and smashed things up. Well, it sounds just like the Bible, right? And then he told me, I'm not talking about the temple here. I'm not showing you that. I'm showing you the condition of your own heart. And I went, what? (laughs) I rebuke you, Satan. (laughs) Get away from me. But he said, no. He said, "In, in your heart, there's all these things. There's all these shortcuts. There's all these ways, and there's all this clutter, and there's all this junk, and you think that it's so important. But... But look closer. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But look closer is what he, what he told me. And I started looking at all the stuff that was in that dream. And it was broken chairs. It was boxes that had already been opened. It was junk. There was not one useful thing in it. Everything that was, that was there. And, and when he told me that was the condition of my heart, it really bothered me. Wouldn't that bother you? (laughs) It really bothered me. And I thought, God, how can that be? And he said, those are the cares of the world. Those are those things that reach up and choke out the word. And I'm trying to live big in your life. And you have so many things that you're holding on to that you think are so important, but they're broken. They're worthless. And I was like, well, I need to make a change. Right? So... I started thinking about all the things, all the things that God wanted me to do, all the, all the things that he had set in motion for me to do. And I started thinking about the things that I was holding on to that I counted so precious and so dear. Some traditions in my own life, some beliefs that I held, some things that were pretty close to what God wanted, but not quite. 
And the whole thing was, as God said, I'm going to come into that temple and I'm going to make a whip and I'm going to drive out every single one of those things. And it's going to hurt. And that was like, I don't want that. But I can tell you that it's, it's come. And I can tell you that there's a lot of things that were very, very precious to me that were locked up in that little temple, in that little heart room, that when exposed to the light, when I looked at, they were not so precious and valuable. Not in comparison to the things that that God has. And so, I mean, I think sometimes those things are the things that waste our time. I'm not going to tell you what they are in my own life. But I'm going to tell you that God will do the same thing with you. It's a purging. And it's, it's painful. And you can resist and rebel. But eventually... You'll do what God wants. Amen. Um, The heart is. I'll just read this straight from you. Um, Jesus reaction to an overcrowded temple that's filled with things that do not pertain to godliness is cast it out, run it out by force if need be. Disrupt the flow, break the power of it, um, drive it out. Sometimes the Holy Ghost does this with us. He starts feeling like he's unable to move freely in your life. Wow. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. He starts to feel like he's unable to move freely in your life, and he starts driving things out. You ever had a friend where all of a sudden they just won't call you anymore? Why Why is that? One minute you're all close, and the next minute, where'd you go? I'm not saying that it is God that did that, but sometimes it is. I think sometimes God knows that that person is a poison to you. And he's, he's removing that person. Maybe that's just me. Um, the heart is um, too small to carry grudges and hurts. I'll say that one one more time. The heart is too small to carry grudges and hurts. The heart is not able to bear heavy burdens and cares of the world. Jesus came and paid the price so that we could walk free of all that weighs us down and run our race. Um, sometimes the hard thing is the right thing. None of us like the hard thing. We like status quo. We like simple. We like routine. As much as we complain about ruts, we will fight to protect them. And God is saying, let's get out of this. Let's step out and do something just a little bit different. Right? Um, Let's look at Matthew. Oops, not bookmarks. Um, Chapter 20, or Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. Is this any of this making sense? That's good. That means you're hearing from God. You should be encouraged. Got to be up here. God saying, hey, remember when I told you that? How's that going? Thanks, God. Thanks. Remember that? Remember that little conversation? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all that, uh, all you who labor. How many of you labor? All of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um. The word laden, it means to load up, and it's to load up an animal, and it means um, heavy laden or a big burden. And really what this this whole thing is talking about is, you ever seen a yoke of oxen? There's a big T thing that goes down the middle of them, and you have a a guy here, and you have a guy. You have an oxen here, and you have an oxen here. And if you have a really, really, really strong oxen here, one of two things will happen. This one here will go, oh, it's coasting time. And your path will go like this. Or actually it'll go like this because the strong one's over here. Or he'll learn and he'll struggle and he'll fight to keep up. 
and he'll just keep on trying to push against that while the stronger one is, is pushing and making, making the ground. And what, what God is telling us is that his yoke is easy. The first message in that scripture is get hooked up with him. Amen. Get in the same path. Because his path is easy and his burden is light. In other words, whatever struggle you're going through, whatever ground you're trying to push through, it's not a problem for God. Amen. That was really exciting and encouraging to me the first time I ever read that because there's a lot of problems that I go through that I know are just way over my head. But I always think I'm hooked up and I'm teamed up with Jesus and there's nothing that I can't do. Amen. And now you have a song to go with it. Through you, I can do anything. I can do so as you're struggling through life and you're plowing your, your path and you're trying to make that row straight, you can just hum along. And he's right beside you. Right. Amen. Amen. His, his, take my yoke upon, upon you and, verse 29, and learn of me. One of the, the greatest things about God that I've, I've ever come to know, you know, we always talk about how great and loving he is, how merciful he is, and how kind he is. One of my favorite attributes of God is that he's a teacher. God doesn't just say, I'm great. Yeah, worship me, I'm great. Sitting up here in the throne, rule and reign over all. Got all authority, all dominion, crush Satan. I'm great. He totally could do that, and he would be 100% right doing that. But what did he do? He sent his son Jesus down to be what? A living epistle so that we might what? Learn of him. So we might learn the way to do things. So we might come to understand just what exactly it was that he did for us. And he's, and he's telling us, I have a better way. I know what I'm doing. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I have conquered Satan. You know that Satan that's trying to bug you every day? I've already conquered him. I went to his house for three days, and he couldn't hold me. I beat him down. Now learn of me. And why does he tell us that? Because you are more than conquerors. And he wants you to know it. Too many times we try to, you know... Let me just speak to myself. Too many times I say, I can't do this. This is too hard. I don't know how to do this. This is just a big mess. But God is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Get hooked up in the team. Work with me. Walk, walk with me. Learn of me. I'll show you how to do it. You know what happens to those two oxens that are up in the front and they're, they're pushing and pulling and one of them's really strong and the other one decides I'm going to be really strong too. He learns from the example of that one and you know what ends up happening to that one? He becomes the lead on another team. He becomes the one who's strong. He becomes the one who teaches the younger oxen how to, how to pull, how to walk that straight line, how to, how to do the job and do it correctly and properly. And that's what Jesus is doing with us. He's teaching us exactly how to walk this walk. Amen. That's why it's so important. I know a lot of religions right now are rejecting the whole thing of Jesus coming. It's, it's just like in, right after, after he was resurrected, you know, the Gnostics said he never came. Not in the body, he never came. And a lot of religions are going back to that now. Well, these are all just good stories. But no, in truth, in reality, he was here. That's why John said in 1 John, that which we have seen, that which we have touched, that which we have beheld, he was physically here and I saw him. We've learned of him. Amen. So take my yoke upon me and, and learn. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Long, long time ago, Long, long time ago, when I first got um, saved, not long after I got saved, Christine and I were married. There was this band called Jars of Clay, and they had this hidden track on their very first album, and I was like, ooh, this is great. I like this one. Hidden. And um, it was this scripture, and it was um, 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. One of them's going real slow. Never had that problem with books. Right? <laughs> they respond to your page turning. Second Corinthians chapter 4, um, verse 7. It says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, yet not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of the Lord Jesus might also be made manifest in our body. Yeah, you're going through trouble. Yeah, there's, there's bad things that come against you. But you also have the promises of God. You also have the presence of God. You also have the provision of God. You also have the protection of God. There's nothing that's going to come against you that you're not able to withstand. And guess what? That's the story that God is trying to tell the world through you. That's the story that he's written on the hearts of you. That's the story that we're portraying. We have this treasure. This treasure is um, the Greek word thorseus. I probably said that wrong. And it's the place where all good and precious things are collected and laid up. It's literally a treasure room. Now, did you ever see the movie National Treasure? You know how they walk into that room and it's full of spider webs and it's all gross and yucky. And then they, they light a torch and they're like, oh, look at all this stuff. Oh, it's so great. Look at all this stuff. And they're thinking, wow, we found the treasure room. And then Nicolas Cage goes over and he lights the like, gunpowder on fire and it goes and it just goes so far beyond what they could ever, ever see. Right? And all of this treasury room is all lit up and they're just like, wow, look at all this stuff. Do you remember Riley, the guy who was his little helper? Do you remember what he was excited about? The stairs. He's like, oh, look. There's, there's treasures that have been hidden in darkness through years and years and years and years. And you know what he's excited about? A way out. Sound familiar? People are going to see a little bit of the treasure of God in you. They're going to see the anointing of God on you. They're going to see the joy on you. They're going to see how you walk in divine health. They're going to see the promises of God being manifest in your life. They're going to see that when you face affliction, you don't face affliction alone. They're going to see that you may be distressed and troubled, but that you always have the right attitude and you always seem to have the right answer and you always seem to be in the right place at the right time. But you know what they're really, really going to be excited about? Those are the things that draw the eye. But what they're really, really going to be excited about is the way out. What they're really, really excited about is that, yeah, that's great that that works for you, but there's stairs back there. I can follow you up the stairs. We can all get out of here. That's what they're going to be really, really excited about. Amen. You know, I, I just think about how much, a, how much of a mess the world is, and I think about where I was at before I was saved, and I think all I wanted was something different. Hope is such a powerful thing. The world doesn't have any hope. All that they can hope for is right now, right now. But then you tell them that God has made plans to, to give you a future, not only made plans, but he's also made provision. Not only made provision, but he's also prepared a place. You mean heaven is real? Wow. And I can have part of that? Yeah. And that's, that's what we're here for. 
the enemy would love nothing more than to get us completely and totally distracted on the cares of this world, the working and earning a paycheck, the going to school and earning a degree, the day-to-day -day routine, mundane, the natural. When God is telling us, focus on the supernatural. That's why in, uh, Corinth, in Colossians chapter 3, it says, set your eyes on the things which are above. Don't forget about those things. Amen. Amen. So, uh, last scripture. How do you like that? Not one. Amen. What is up with you guys? All right, so let me try this another way. How would you all like to get out early? Thank you. Amen. So, Second Chronicles, and it helps if I'm in Chronicles, chapter 9. Verses 1 um, through 8. And when the queen of Sheba had heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem. And a very great company of camels that bear spices and gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she came unto Solomon, she communed with him. That's just a fancy word for she talked. Okay? So she talked with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her the answers to all of her questions. Would to God we had a couple of Christians who would not only not be offended if somebody came up and questioned God to them, but also gave them the right answers. Right? We're just going to keep going. We'll let the Holy Ghost blow that and simmer on that. Okay, so Solomon told her answers to all her questions, and there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. How do you get all the answers to every question? There's really only one way. It's only through God, right? So what do you do when you get a question that you can't answer? I'll give you something free from one of my classes. What do you do when you get a question that you can't answer? Yeah, you pray. But how many of you know that that doesn't instantly always come? What do you do? Search. What else, what else should you do? You have someone standing right in front of you and they're asking you the hardest question you've ever heard and you have no answer. What do you do? Redirect. Redirect. You be honest. You be honest. No question is, is ever worth the integrity of your, of your position, of your stand. If you don't know the answer, and you pray and you search and you're, you're needing to know, you be honest. No one, including God, expects you to have every answer to every question instantaneously. There's only one person who could do that, God. Now, I'm not saying that he won't give you the answers, and sometimes he'll give you the answer right now, and that's a great thing. But sometimes he won't, and it's up to you to just know that it's okay. It's okay. In this case, every single question that this dignitary had of Solomon, he got the answer to. And I think that's a great, great miracle. Because, yeah, Solomon was wise, but we all know he wasn't all that wise, right? <laughs> Keep reading. <laughs> and when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the abundance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers also and, the apparel, and their apparel and the ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. That is a very fancy way of saying she fainted. She was so blown away by the things that, that God had done for this man. She was reading the tale of God in the life of this man, and it, it was so overwhelming that her physical body couldn't take it, and she just fainted. This is not a lady that was not used to opulence. This was not a lady who was from the slums. This was somebody who, who was used to seeing these kinds of things. But the presence of God in, in this man's life and the power of God in this man's life and the benefits of God in this man's life were so overwhelming that her natural body could not take it. 
God, I pray that that is each and every one of us. I pray that as people see the things of God in our lives, as they hear the word of God coming out of our mouth, as they see the the manifest presence of God in our lives, as they understand the wisdom that you're giving us as it comes forth, Father, I just thank you and praise you that people cannot take it. I thank you, Father, that those stories come forth in such power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit that it changes and impacts their lives completely and totally. Amen. I just really think that that's amazing. This is how God wants us to be in this world. He wants us wise in the world, but not tainted by it. He wants us prosperous. He wants us happy in service towards God in his temple and outside the temple. Amen. Demonstrating all the treasures of God that are within us. I want them to, to every time that you talk to somebody, I want you to just think of that scene in National Treasure where they light it up and they're so excited about the little bit that they see because they're just seeing just a touch of what God's done in your life. But as they take the light that they've just now gotten and they touch it to the altar of your life and everything explodes and they begin to see how big and magnanimous God really is. And at the back of God, at the back of everything that he has, they see the stairs and they see the way out of what they're living now. God, help us all. That's what I really want. Showing others that God's favor makes a difference in our lives, in how we live in this world. Causing people to recognize that the love that God has for them, not only as individuals, but also as our whole nation. Amen. Again, we're living epistles. We're letters from God written on our hearts to be read of all men. Amen. You're a good book. Amen. Amen. Does anybody need prayer today? All right. Well, let's all stand.